Another debate breakdown for you. Um, yeah, yet again, I over-prepared uh, for this show. I wanted to do, like, somewhere between 8 to 10 clips, and I have, I think, 13. So I'm going to be rushing. I'm going to be doing quite a bit of rushing. So just a forewarning for everybody. I also just realized now that the clips are not in a row, which is going to make this a lot more difficult when it comes to picking clips, uh, the right clips to play. So bear with me as we move along here. But, um, all right, let's get it started. And first and foremost, we're going to do the uh, initial debate breakdown. So last night was the second part of the first Democratic debate. Um, the candidates over my left shoulder were the ones who participated in this debate. We have Joe Biden, Andrew Yang, Kamala Harris, Michael Bennett, uh, Pete Buttigieg, Marianne Williamson, Eric Swalwell, John Hickenlooper, Bernie Sanders, and Kirsten Gillibrand. Um, I did not like this debate as much as the first one. Uh, I'm not sure I liked the first debate at all, but I definitely disliked this one more because it was just really annoying. It was sloppier. People were talking over each other. Um, the questions were also shitty, just like, you know, the debate that happened the night before. Um, but just overall, it felt sloppier to me. Um, now, I want to give you the winners and the losers and the people who were neither winners nor losers. They just kind of were there, and they didn't help themselves or hurt themselves. Um, first, let's go to the losers. I would say Mike Bennett is a loser because he was all over the place in terms of the arguments he was making. He made some points that were really shitty and centrist and dumb, 
uh, going after Bernie on Medicare for All. He fell massively flat there. Um, but then he also kind of clipped Joe Biden on uh, a tax deal that he had made with Mitch McConnell when Joe Biden tried to say it was a good deal. Um, that was his only good moment, Bennett's only good moment. Overall, he honestly just sounds like a reformed frat boy. <laughs> he just he, he seemed like a fish out of water, and he doesn't really have much appeal. He's wasting his time. Uh, he went nowhere in this debate, and uh, he'll probably have to drop out soon. It's, well, you know, I, I retract that. I don't know how long these people are going to stay in, but it's going to be clear that a lot of them have zero chance very soon. Um, another loser, and this one I'm really saddened by, particularly because I made the bold prediction that he would perform well, and he would perform so well that he would get a bump in the polls, Andrew Yang. He did not perform well at all. Now, Andrew Yang today has come out and said, they literally had my mic cut off for most of the night, so the reason you heard from me the least is because when I was trying to interject, nobody could hear me because my mic was off. Um, that's what he's claiming today. Do, is that true? I have no idea. Um, but what I do know is, mic on or off, even the few times that he spoke, he didn't do well. Um, so... This was uh, a disastrously wrong prediction from yours truly, and now I'm owning up to it. He, uh, he was definitely one of the losers of the night. Then we have the breakfast cereal, um, John Hickenlooper. He was exactly as expected. He was really boring and awkward with his weird smile. It took him a long time to say things, and when he did actually say things, they were really terrible because they were saying what we can't do, not what we can do, and then he tried to brag about his own record as the governor of Colorado, and he said dumb shit like, we had almost almost near universal health coverage because of me. Bragging about near universal health coverage is not something to brag about, because what you're saying is I couldn't get everybody covered. Like, all the people that are not covered, kind of important. <laughs> so, I mean, you could argue now in the U.S., I mean, we almost have universal health coverage. What? We have, there are like 30 million or 40 million people who are uninsured, but there's like 330 million people in the country. So we're near universal coverage. That's not a good point, dude. You look like a dickhead because you are. So Hickenlooper shit to bed. Um, then here are the two biggest losers, in my opinion. Eric Swalwell is the one of the top losers because he, oh, my God, he definitely has, like, this really high opinion of himself, and he thinks he's going to make a run at this thing. But every time he spoke, I was cringing. He's really hokey, and he's really corny, and he's not, he's not very personable. And um, he had these, like, really overly planned out one-liners that he tried to plant throughout the night, and it was so obvious that they were planted. And he had this look on his face after he said them like he nailed it, but the audience was like, Mm, not so much there, fella. One of them was, um, we're going to break up with Russia and get back with NATO. And everybody's like, yeah, <laughs> So he was one of the biggest losers. Um, and then the biggest loser by far and away was Joe Biden. He got his ass handed to him on a silver platter. He was just owned repeatedly over and over and over. Bernie owned him. Kamala owned him. Um, and even Michael Bennett, frat boy Michael Bennett owned him. That is so sad. 
in between watching Animal House and American Psycho, which are Michael Bennett's two favorite movies, um, he owned Joe Biden. When you get owned by Michael Bennett, come on, son, wrap it up. So Biden was the biggest loser, so much so to the point that I will declare it right now, Biden's candidacy is is over. It's dead in the water. He will not recover from this. And what did I tell you in advance? I told you that Joe Biden is a very good debater one-on-one with Republicans. Why did I say that? He eviscerated Sarah Palin, and he eviscerated Paul Ryan in legendary fashion. But what else did I tell you? He's not good in Democratic primary debates. Why? He's run 36 times prior to this to try to become president, and he lost every time, and he didn't even do well in any of the primaries. He was considered a favorite going to almost all the races that he was in, and then he flamed out super quickly. So when you put him on stage, and he's like a milquetoast centrist from the 1980s, and he's surrounded by monsters, he's going to get eaten alive, and he can't defend his long-ass record because there's a lot of sketchy shit in his record. I like how one of the candidates, I forget who it was, brought up that um, you know Biden, was, Biden and Obama were responsible for deporting 3 million people, and he had no response. He just couldn't respond. He looked like a deer in headlights. He was like, because he had, was just finished talking about, you know, saying something positive about immigrants or whatever. And somebody pounced, and he was like, fuck, why am I up here? It looked like it was past his bedtime all night. So definitely the biggest loser. Now, here's who didn't help themselves or hurt themselves. Now, I have feelings on how these people did, but I don't think that they're going to go in either direction in the polls. Uh, Marianne Williamson, nobody knew who the fuck she was going into the debate. Now, everybody knows who she is, but she's more of a meme than anything else. She seems like, you know, like an old-school hippie, basically, who made her way on the presidential stage, and she says stuff like, I'm all about love, bro. The only thing that could drive out love is hate. Or, excuse me, the only thing that could drive out hate is love, and I'm here to bring love. And then, you know, she was talking about, we, we don't just need health care plans. We need wellness plans or some shit. And talking about how the only problem isn't just um, our healthcare system. It's also the food system. It's also the chemicals. I feel like she was this close to throwing some anti-vax shit out there in the middle of the debate. So she was a fascinating character. Um, Every now and then she said something that makes sense. But by and large, she just strikes me as like a very hippy-dippy kind of character. And um, she's not, she has no chance. She has absolutely no chance. Um, but at least now people, they know her now, (laughs) and she made a lot of people laugh, and she made a lot of people smile, so I don't think she really hurt herself, because she was already at, like, 1% anyway, so she'll probably just remain at 1%, and now people will just be more amused by her and happy that they know who she is. Um, And then we have uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, I don't think, helped herself or hurt herself. Now, at the beginning of the debate, I would have said for sure she's hurting herself, Why? Because she was the queen of interrupting through that debate. She would try to jump in time and time and time again, and it would always be awkward, and it would always sound desperate. And, like, every time she talks, she sounds desperate. Now, the reason why, though, ultimately, I don't think she hurt herself is because towards the end of the debate, when she kind of calmed down on the interrupting, and she actually started, you know, saying stuff, she made sense. She said things that were perfectly reasonable. Now, is she a faker? Yes. She absolutely is a faker. Her record is very centrist, um, almost across the board. But she tried to portray herself as more of the Bernie Sanders 
variety and from the Bernie Sanders wing. And um, when she actually calmed down and stopped interrupting people, she said a few things that were like, oh, wow, that's a good point. She kept bringing up corruption, for example, and she talked about her, um, her plan on paid family leave, for example. I think she was the only one on stage to bring that up. Um, and she talked about how her record is literally the most anti-Trump of everybody on stage, which, by the way, that's actually true. She made a point of, like, voting against every single appointment in his administration and stuff like that. So um, while she was very annoying and she was interrupting people nonstop early on, by the end she sort of redeemed herself. So I don't think she hurt herself or helped herself. She's just kind of coasting here. Now, she needs to help herself because she's so low in the polls, but uh, she didn't do that, but I don't think she hurt herself. Again, this is all just my opinion. You can take it with a grain of salt. I'm sure many of you disagree with my overall breakdown here. Now let's get to the winners. The first winner, uh, Buttigieg. Now, I don't like Pete Buttigieg. In fact, I despise Pete Buttigieg. That was one of my tweets last night. I was like, I can't stand this guy. He's such a fucking fake, bullshitting politician who's playing a role right now. He's doing his Obama impersonation. That's the only reason he's on stage. And by the way, Buttigieg does a much better Obama impersonation than Beto. Beto is useless. Beto is done. Beto imploded last night. Buttigieg is hanging in there with his fake Obama impression. Because every now and then he said some stuff that I know because I can tap into the mind of, like, the relatively apolitical centrist voter who doesn't know that much. Um, and they would look at a guy like Buttigieg and go, oh, he seems very presidential and very well put together. So if you're one of those voters who's inclined to just look at surface bullshit, you're going to like Buttigieg. And I think that there are enough people who fit that description to say that Buttigieg is still kind of in this race. He kind of has forced himself to be taken seriously, again, even though I despise him with a burning passion. He's doing his little tap dance of, like, kind of repping centrism, but putting enough of a veneer of faux progressivism over it where he's not, like, totally imploded. So I think he did perform well in this debate. I, again, I know some people disagree with me on that. But I always try my best to kind of get outside of, get outside of just my own narrow perspective and try to see what I think certain kinds of voters would think of this guy. And I'll tell you what, for every person who hates him out there, there's somebody who likes him. So I think he did pretty well in this debate, unfortunately. Um, because oftentimes he says nothing of substance. <laughs> um, now, the next winner is Bernie. However, Bernie Bernie did not spike the football in the end zone. You know, he pulled a Tulsi a little bit here. And what I mean by that is, just like with Tulsi Gabbard yesterday, Tulsi started super slow, and then she picked it up by the end. That is pretty much exactly what happened with Bernie. I don't think he was doing well through, like, half the debate. I don't. I was not impressed. He didn't really, you know, plant his flag and say, I'm here, I'm the force to be reckoned with, here's why. And he wasn't really aggressive, and he wasn't really hitting his stride where he kind of fires off his talking points, which get the, the rabid applause and whatnot. So I don't think he was doing well for the first half of the debate. Now, thank goodness, towards the end of the debate, he put the burners on, and he went to work, and he was burning. And he obliterated Joe Biden on foreign policy. Uh, but Bernie's best moment of the night was actually his closing statement. Because in his closing, closing statement, he really let everybody know what's up. And he was like, listen, all these people on stage, they're good people. They're lovely people. I like them. But you've got to ask yourself a question. 
why is it that every time there are standard politicians in front of you and they make these promises, nothing ever changes? Well, it's time for the real change. It's time for the political revolution. I'm the only guy who's going to take on Wall Street. I'm the only guy who's going to take on the military-industrial complex. I'm the only one who's really going to stand up to these powerful forces. So by the end, I was like, yes, get them, Bernie. And you just have to hope that everybody who was watching the debate was hanging in there till the end, because if they just watch the first half, they'll think Bernie got obliterated. So overall, he is a winner, but it's not a Mortal Kombat flawless victory. I wish it was. I wish I could give you guys that news right now, but I can't give you that news right now. Now, I think the biggest winner of the night, and it pains me to say this, but it really struck me as the case. Even though I don't like her, Kamala Harris won. Because Kamala Harris, all night, was on her game. She commanded attention in a way that was impressive. It was like there was one moment where there was a lot of like sloppiness and talking over each other in the debate that was happening all over the place, and it really was a mess. But there were a few instances where like Kamala would interject at just the right moment. Like her timing was perfect all night. She inter she would interject at just the right moment and be like, you know, um, the American people don't want to see a food fight. They want to hear how we're going to put food on their tables, which is an overplanned line, and I, and I hear you on that. But it was delivered properly where it got, like, a big applause in the audience. And this was the whole night she tried to basically come across as, like, I'm the adult in the room, but also I'm actually going to pretend like um like Bernie Sanders, which she did. She's, she clearly is doing what Kirsten Gillibrand is doing. Listen, there's a bunch of different kinds of politicians. Some of the politicians are so stupid, like Hickenlooper, that he actually thinks, like, ooh, centrism will win, and John Delaney, oh, centrism is wonderful. They are so dead and gone and irrelevant that it's laughable. Then there's other candidates who are centrists, but they're smart enough to lie and act like they're like Bernie because it's a populist anti-establishment era. Kamala Harris is doing that. She's walking that tightrope. She's acting like she's super progressive, and um, while she is a centrist, her record is very centrist, and she just did a great job. Honestly, the moment that everybody's talking about today, and they will continue to talk about from this debate, is when Kamala Harris ended Joe Biden's career. She ended his campaign, 100%. And it happened because he worked with segregationists and bragged about working with segregationists. And she basically came out and said, you work with segregationists. And by the way, at the time, I was part of, like, the second class to be um, desegregated where I, where I was in California or something like that. And, you know, it personally affected me. And the way she delivered it was just everybody was like, damn, he's fallen and he can't get up. So I really think she won. She tried to sound progressive, tried to sound like Bernie, while also d distinguishing herself from Bernie. So I don't believe her. I think she's full of shit. I think she is a centrist, but I think she had the best debate performance. And I'm going to keep it real with you guys. As of right now, I'm a little shook. I'm a little shook. Because I think, I think the race has been narrowed down quite a bit. I think that we're really having a conversation now about between Bernie Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, and maybe at the fringes, Buttigieg, and then maybe one other, okay? But really, um, I think Kamala is the one who's going to make the strongest run at this thing. And if you're a Bernie person, 
we need to do everything we can to recognize that threat and um, fight back politically accordingly. So that's my uh, breakdown of this debate. Um, there were some surprises. Like I said, Yang did a lot worse than expected, although he says his mic was cut. Um, Hickenlooper performed shitty as expected. Swalwell was uh, the second worst. Biden was the worst. Uh, Williamson and Gillibrand not up or down, just kind of coasting. And then the winners were Buttigieg, Bernie, and Kamala. Uh, let me know what you think about what happened last night. Here we go, baby. Here we go. Bernie was asked the first question. Um, let's see where that is. I didn't put this in order. So last night, Bernie Sanders was asked the first question in the Democratic debate part two, or night two, I should say. And it was the exact kind of question that you'd expect. Take a look. You've called for big new government benefits like universal health care and free college. In a recent interview, you said you suspected that Americans would be, quote, delighted to pay more taxes for things like that. My question to you is, will taxes go up for the middle class in a Sanders administration? And if so, how do you sell that to voters? Well, you're quite right. We have a new vision for America. And at a time when we have three people in this country owning more wealth than the bottom half of America, while 500,000 people are sleeping out on the streets today, we think it is time for change, real change. And by that I mean that health care, in my view, is a human right. And we have got to pass a Medicare for all single-payer system. <laughs> Under that system, by the way, vast majority of the people in this country will be paying significantly less for health care than they are right now. I believe that education is the future for this country. And that is why I believe that we must make public colleges and universities tuition free and eliminate student debt. And we do that by placing a tax on Wall Street. Every proposal that I have brought forth is fully paid for. Senator Sanders, I'll give you 10 seconds just to ask the, answer the very direct question. Will you raise taxes for the middle class in a Sanders administration? People who have health care under Medicare for all will have no premiums, no deductibles, no co-payments, no out-of-pocket exp out expenses. Yes, they will pay more in taxes, but less in health care for what they get. Thank you, Senator. So that was a trick question. That was a gotcha question. Again, the framing is meant to get a soundbite from Bernie that they can then use to bludgeon him over the head with. Having said that, he didn't handle that well. He did not handle that well. Bernie, this is how you answer a question like that when they ask, are you going to raise taxes on the middle class to pay for your, you know, your Medicare for All program? Here's what you say. No, because I'm eliminating private taxes. And then you could go on to make the point, which is one of the points he made, where he said no premiums, no copays, no deductibles. So then they're going to fire back at you and be like, wait, what? What does that mean? And then you can keep sticking to your guns and hammering away on exactly what you mean, where, you, where 
you're having the debate on your terms and you're reframing it. You don't give them the soundbite that they're looking for. Are you going to raise taxes on the middle class? Well, if you give them the full context, they can't get their soundbite. So the answer is, no, I'm not going to raise taxes on the middle class because I'm eliminating the private taxes that are premiums, co-pays, co and deductibles paid to your private health insurance company. Just because the money is going to a corporation doesn't mean it isn't an effective tax. It is absolutely a tax because you have to pay it. So what if I told you I eliminate that and then even though your public taxes would go up, overall you save money. Now, he did effectively say that by the end, but he's too much of a roundabout and too much of going back into your standard tap dance with your standard talking points. Dude, you have to disarm their bullshit up front. I, listen, I don't want to overstate it because Bernie, Bernie's a machine, and Bernie cares deeply about policy substance, and he is going to kind of hammer away on the same talking points, which is generally okay. But I just want, like, it's too disconnected to just kind of immediately pivot when you're asked a question because everybody's waiting for your answer. And if you don't immediately answer it and then explain, people are going to roll their eyes and be like, mm, see, he is going to raise taxes on the middle class. So I just, I think what, what all the candidates need to get better at, not just Bernie, is say what the fuck you're trying to say, get it out, and be direct but you can still have it on your terms. So when they ask you, will you raise tax on the middle class, you say, no, because I'm eliminating private taxes. Even though I'm raising public taxes, if you eliminate private taxes, I save everybody money. Now, again, some of you might fire back and say, well, he did kind of say that, but it took him a long time to say it, and to the point where they followed up and asked, I'm going to ask you again very simply. And then you, you look like a deer in headlights. You gotta, you gotta get the framing down, my man. You gotta get the framing down. Um, if you reframe it as the, what you're paying to private health insurance companies, that's a tax. If you reframe it as that, you win. You 100% win. If you give them their little soundbite as he did in the middle there, yes, I will raise taxes. Then all they're gonna do is take that and run with it. So it's, listen, I don't want to only put the blame on Bernie here because. The question is a trick question. It's a gotcha question. The whole point is to trip him up. The whole point is to make it look like he's not in favor of regular people and working people because it's to make it look like, oh, see, he wants to raise your taxes. Ooh, gotcha. So it's almost like anti-intellectual on purpose. So you also blame the media here. But Bernie needs to be prepared for stuff like this, and he wasn't prepared there. Somebody get the term private tax to him and get it to him now. Um, I agree with everything Bernie said in terms of the, his plans and whatnot there, but I didn't like the way he answered that question. Now, having said all that, I do tend to be stricter on the people I like because I really want to see him do well and I really want to see him succeed. Um, so I'm like, I'll scrutinize him very strictly, but that's because I care and I want him to do well and I want to do what's right. I want him to do what's right. I want him to say it in a way that disarms everybody immediately. And that's one thing that like, almost nobody does right in debates, and it's infuriating. Because once you learn this trick, it's over. You're going to win every debate. <laughs> the trick is immediately answer and disarm and reframe. Don't ever, like, kind of meander as Bernie kind of started doing there. So 
Anyway, um, that was the first question, and it kind of set the tone for the night. As expected, they do kind of, you know, go after Bernie in a shitty way. And notice they asked him a follow-up question there. The first question they asked Biden, Biden bullshit his way through the entire thing, and then they didn't ask a follow-up question. That's not an accident. The media has their favorites. The media has the people they dislike. They definitely dislike Bernie more than Biden for obvious reasons. So he's going to have to deal with the hostile media, but this is not anything we aren't used to. Okay, next. Let's, um, I think we're going to Biden now. Yeah, Biden. Let's go to the first question Biden was asked, and you will see how he is the world's biggest bullshitter. So this is the first time that Biden spoke last night at the uh, second, in the second part, the second night of the first Democratic debate. And this is a rare instance where he was actually asked a pretty good question. And boy, oh boy, did he dodge it like Neo from the Matrix. Uh, Vice President Biden. Senator Sanders, as you know, has been calling for a revolution. Recently, in remarks to a group of wealthy donors, as you were speaking about the problem of income inequality in this country, you said, we shouldn't, quote, demonize the rich. You said, nobody has to be punished. No one's standard of living would change. Nothing would fundamentally change. What did you mean by that? What I meant by that is, look, Donald Trump thinks Wall Street built America. Ordinary middle-class Americans build America. My dad used to have an expression. He said, Joe, a job is about a lot more than a paycheck. It's about your dignity. It's about respect. It's being able to look your kid in the eye and say everything's going to be okay. Too many people who are in the middle class and poor have had the bottom fall out under this proposal. What I'm saying is that we've got to be straightforward. We have to make sure we understand that to return dignity to the middle class, they have to have insurance that is covered and they can afford it. They have to make sure that we have in a situation where there's continuing education and they're able to pay for it. And they have to make sure that they're able to breathe air that is, is, is clean and they, they have water that they can drink. Look, Donald Trump has put us in a horrible situation. We do have enormous income inequality. And the one thing I agree on is we can make massive cuts in the $1.6 trillion in tax loopholes out there, and I would be going about eliminating Donald Trump's tax cuts for the wealthy. Vice President Biden, thank you. Notice they didn't ask Biden a follow-up question. They asked Bernie. They didn't ask Biden. What was the original question? Hey, Biden, what did you mean when you said, when you told a room full of rich donors, nothing has to change, quote, nothing will fundamentally change? What does that mean? And his response was, um, Trump thinks Wall Street built America. That was literally his response. Bro, what? What? I mean, that's not even remotely close to answering the question. I mean, you're in another goddamn area code, son. What? What did it mean when you told a room full of rich donors nothing will fundamentally change? It means that um, it means that Trump thinks that Wall Street built America. This was Joe Biden's entire night. It was just incoherent babbling. It was 
just no confidence either. Whenever he got to, like, he would be talking about something, just rambling, and then he would say, oh, my time's up. What? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm in favor of people stopping when their time's up because sometimes they drag on and it was obnoxious and, and annoying. Um, but you don't, like, he would, like, <laughs> slam on the brakes, make up a shot, time's up. Almost like he knew he had nothing to say and he was tired of bullshitting, so he just tapped out. He just seemed like he was... It was past his bedtime all night. He looked like a lost, sad old man. Um, and I guess that's what happens when you have really have no core and you don't really believe in anything. You just kind of want that power. You want to be the president. You want to have that title. So he's just like, it's almost like he, he feels entitled to it. And he's just like, oh, will you pick me? I propped my carcass up here for you. Oh, dude, give it a rest, man. But it really does say something, doesn't it, that the media didn't ask a follow-up question when he didn't come anywhere near answering that question, and they did ask Bernie a follow-up question. Um, again, but as, as Bernie people, we can't be surprised when, uh, when the media is biased against him because that's par for the course. We're used to it, but it was just such a clear example of it right there. Um, Hansi Uncle Joseph's campaign is over. This is one of many instances where I think everybody listening was kind of – Stunned by how terrible he was. Okay. Now, I got, I think I front loaded the show here with um, Bernie, more Bernie stuff than anything else. Okay. Medicare for all, when Bernie came alive. Where's that video? So, um, I told you all that I don't think Bernie did well the first half of the debate. I think he came alive towards the end and did a good job with his closing statement and did a good job with... um, certain instances of sparring with other candidates a little bit more than halfway through. He had some flashes here. Let me show you. This was about 25 to 30 minutes into the debate, and this is when the topic of Medicare for All came up. See, Bernie, actually in a very similar way to Trump, when he feels like what's happening around him and what people are saying is, like, dumb and stupid and unfair, that's when he argues the best. That's when he's most persuasive, and that's when he's, doing his best job as a candidate, because you could tell he really means it. You could tell he really means it, and you could tell, like, he's annoyed at the shitty arguments other people are making or the shitty questions he's being asked. This is a great example of that right here. Take a look.
is not to provide quality care to all in a cost-effective way. The function of the healthcare system today is to make billions in profits for the insurance companies. And last year, if you could believe it, while we pay the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs, and I will lower prescription drug prices in half in this country, top 10 companies make $69 billion in profits. They will spend hundreds of millions of dollars lying to the American people, telling us why we cannot Senator, have Senator, a Medicare I, 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 I just have to follow up there. How do you implement it on a national level? How do you implement it on a okay. national level, given the fact it's, it's not succeeded in other states of threat? I will tell you how we'll do it. We'll do it the way real change has always taken place, whether it was the labor movement, the civil rights movement, or the women's movement. We will have Medicare for all, when tens of millions of people are prepared to stand up and tell the insurance companies and the drug companies that their day is gone, that health care is a human right, not something to make huge profits. Says that Canada is single payer. There are 35 million people in Canada. There are 330 million people in the United States. Easily the number of people on a public option that could, it could easily be 35 million. And for them, it would be Medicare for all, as, as Mayor Buttigieg says. But for others that want to keep it, they should be able to keep it. And and I think that will be the fastest way to get where we need to go. I'd also, like to I will like say, Bernie is a very honest person. He has said over and over again, unlike others that have supported this legislation, over and over again that this will ban, make illegal, all insurance except cosmetic, except insurance for, I guess that's for plastic surgery. Everything else is banned under the Medicare for all. I'd like to go a little longer, but I want to go to Senator Sanders. everybody in sight there. <laughs> First of all, the question, it's so stupid that it's actually offensive. I'm not one to get offended, but I am offended at that original question from Lester Holt. Like, pff, how can we do it when there are like states that haven't gotten it implemented? Literally every other developed country on the planet has one version or another of a single-payer system. And your question, and you think it's a gotcha, is like, is this even possible? Like, how can we even do it? It's so embarrassing, and it's so America-centric. This idea of just, like, sheer defeatism. Of, like, what? Like, I mean, come on. Is, it, is this even possible? Like, how are we going to do this? I mean, come on. Seriously? How, I mean, how are we going to do it? Oh, my God. The same people who would argue, like, we're number one, bro, America. We can do anything, bro. Like, Joe Biden we we're going to cure cancer. Somehow we could do anything and we can cure cancer, but catching up to the rest of the developed world with something like healthcare is <laughs> nobody even knows how we get this done, bro. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of and the Michael Bennett's fucking right wing um, talk radio talking point there of like, 
But Bernie, there are a lot of people here. That's not a point. That's not a point. That's a non-point. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like, well, there's a lot of people here. So, yeah. End? <laughs> what does that mean? Even if you accept that bullshit argument, which I don't, okay? But let's accept it for a second. Okay. Let's implement a version of Medicare for All, single payer, where you have a federal law that says each individual state has to make their own single-payer health care system, and it will be funded through tax dollars at the federal level. Problem solved. This way, you know, you don't have um, over 300 million people under one health care system. You technically have 300 million people under 50 separate single-payer health care systems, and you've broken it down at a smaller level. There, I addressed your totally incoherent bullshit point, which I shouldn't have wasted my breath addressing anyway. I mean, it's so embarrassing. And again, what did I say? This is when Bernie does best. When, almost when he's like offended by the stupidity of the question, he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, seriously, this, this is the question you're going to ask as if you're a serious person. How much money does Lester Holt make a year? He couldn't figure out that every other developed country has a single-payer system. He couldn't figure that out, that we are the outlier. He couldn't figure that out. How are we going to do it? I mean, some states, they haven't even been able to do it. <laughs> because of the pharmaceutical companies and the insurance companies, you jackass. That's why. Because they block progress every step of the way. Because they spend a tremendous amount of money trying to lobby against it, and they buy the political process and the politicians. You're a grown man, dude. You're a grown man. Oh, my God. And then Michael Bennett. I swear to God, he's, he's a reformed frat boy. Like, Bernie, bro, I mean, like, I totally am in favor of healthcare and whatnot, you know? But it's totally not rad that having to talk about healthcare is cutting into my surfing time, bro. Totally tubular, bro. Frat boy Mike Bennett. That's my name for him. Frat boy Mike Bennett. <laughs> In Phi Kappa Zeta, we already just had healthcare through our parents, bro. So why do we really need to change anything? Rad, bro. It's totally rad to do non-single-payer healthcare reforms, bro. Rad. Oh! Anyway, this was uh, one of Bernie's better moments. And thankfully, this came pretty, actually, 30 minutes into the debate or so, so pretty early in the debate, into the debate. But in my opinion, for most of the first half of the debate, Bernie didn't do well. And later on, he picked it up. Um, but, yeah. It's like, it's so annoying because these clowns debate shit that's not debatable. And that does a disservice to the country. Because it makes people think that certain things aren't possible when it's like, they're, it's proven that they're possible. And, in fact, they're the norm in the rest of the developed world. So that's why you guys come here to, you know learn about politics, and have fun at the same time, because obviously mainstream media is not doing their job. Okay, next. Now we are going to discuss... 
Bernie obliterating Biden on foreign policy. Here we go. So uh, Bernie took out the whooping stick and used it on handsy Uncle Joseph on the issue of foreign policy. This was fun to watch. When the time came to say yes or no on one of the most consequential foreign policy decisions of the last century, you voted for the Iraq war. You have since said you regret that vote. But why should voters trust your judgment when it comes to making a decision about taking the country to war the next time? Because once we, once Bush abused that power, what happened was we got elected after that. I made sure the president turned to me and said, Joe, get our combat troops out of Iraq. I was responsible for getting 150,000 combat troops out of Iraq, and my son was one of them. I also think we should not have combat troops in Afghanistan. It's long overdue. It should end. And I thirdly... I believe that you're not going to find anybody who has pulled together more of alliances to deal with what is the real stateless threat out there. We cannot go it alone in terms of dealing with terrorism. So I'd eliminate the, the, uh, the, the, the act that allowed us to go into war and not the AUMF and make sure that it could only be used for what its intended was, what its intent was, and that is to go after terrorists, but never do it alone. That's why we have to repair our alliances. We put together 65 countries to make sure we dealt with ISIS in Iraq and other places. That's what I would do. That's what I've done, and I know how to do it. Senator Sanders, 30 seconds. One of the differences that Joe and I have in our records is Joe voted for that law, I helped lead the opposition to that law, which is a total disaster. Second of all, I helped lead the effort for the first time to utilize the War Powers Act to get the United States out of the Saudi-led intervention in Yemen, which is the most horrific humanitarian disaster on earth. And thirdly, let me be very clear, I will do everything I can to prevent a war with Iran, which would be far worse and disastrous war. Right. Right. Boom. Got him. Clobbered him over the head with policy substance. By the way, that was the only mention of the U.S. supporting a Saudi-led genocide in Yemen. That was the only mention all night. None of the other candidates mentioned it. Only Bernie Sanders mentioned it. Bringing up Iran in that context was big, too. The fact that Biden was actually pretty reliably on the side of war shows you, hey, that's a red flag for what he'd do in the future. Maybe he gets us more involved in Syria. Maybe he gets us more involved and escalates further with Iran. You need to trust somebody's judgment. Their their record is important because Bernie, every time, even when it was politically unpopular, he was on the correct side of these issues. Um, and he really, he really got Biden there and got him good. Biden, yet again, is using weasel words here, so notice what he said. He said, Obama came to me and told me to get our, quote, combat troops out of Iraq. Hmm, why'd you add the word combat there? It's almost because, it's almost like you, uh, you're still in favor of leaving many troops there, just not doing, like, active missions on a daily basis. That's exactly what it is. That's why he said the word combat. He didn't say, let's get our troops out of there. He said, let's get our combat troops out of there. And then also in the same answer, he brags about, well, I got 60 countries together so we can go fight ISIS. Wait a second. You were just talking about how we should get out of these places, and now 
you're throwing in a line about how, and oh yeah, by the way, I, I also like want to bomb the shit out of them. That's, that's Trumpian. That's what Trump did. Uh, we're going to bomb the shit out of them. And then in the next breath, like, oh, we got to, come on, bro. We can't do nation building and whatnot. We can't bomb all these places and be involved all around the world. Which is it, Joe? Which is it? It's almost like you're trying to have your cake and eat it too. And you're just throwing stuff out there and hoping people will latch on to whatever thing they like the most. And he's talking as if, like, he didn't have a direct impact on all this stuff. Dude, you were the vice president. Obama said he would get us out of Iraq. We didn't actually get out of Iraq. We're still in there. You know, he turned over to Donald Trump, and you turned over to Donald Trump, not just ongoing wars, but also um, a wildly illegal drone program where the president has a kill list. You made that and then turned it over to Donald Trump. Also turned over a giant, illegal, unconstitutional NSA spying program. So when Biden starts saying things like, you know, this is long overdue. That's what, one of the things he said there, long overdue to do this. Bro, you were, you, you're one of the reasons why it's long overdue. So anyway, um, Bernie did really well there. This was a great moment. And uh, Biden continued his trend of being a punching bag all night. Okay. Now we'll talk about the biggest knockout punch of the entire night. And you got to keep it real. It was Kamala Harris straight up, like, leaving Biden a bloody pulp on the floor. Here we go. So the biggest knockout punch of uh, last night's debate came when Kamala Harris just eviscerated Biden on his work with segregationists. Biden worked with them um, fighting against desegregated school busing. That's going to be a tough one to wiggle out of. Let's see how this unfolded.
Attorney General of California, I was very proud to put in place a, a requirement that all my special agents would wear body cameras and keep those cameras on. across the board, I did not praise racist. That is not true, number one. Number two, if we want to have this campaign litigated on who supports civil rights and whether I did or not, I'm happy to do that. I was a public defender. I didn't become a prosecutor. I came out and I left a good law firm to become a public defender when in fact, when in fact, when in fact my city was in flames because of the, the uh, assassination of Dr. King, number one. Now, number two. As the U.S. Affairs, excuse me, as the uh, uh, Vice President of the United States, I work with a man who, in fact, we worked very hard to see to it we dealt with these issues in a major, major way. The fact is that in terms of busing, the busing, I never, you would have been able to go to school the same exact way because it was a local decision made by your city council. That's fine. That's one of the things I argued for, that we should not be, we should be breaking down these lines. But so the bottom line here is, look, Everything I have done in my career, I ran because of civil rights. I continue to think we have to make fundamental changes in civil rights. And those civil rights, by the way, include not just the African Americans, but the LGBT community. But Vice President Biden, do you agree today, do you agree today that you were wrong to oppose busing in America? Do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education. So you oppose busing desegregation. <laughs> That's what that means. <laughs> I did not oppose busing. I opposed busing ordered by the Department of Education. Bro, that means... Let, let me break that down for everybody so, so they understand what that means, okay? One of the oldest arguments used by segregationists, they didn't erect the fact that they were just brazen racists. They didn't get out there and say, whites are superior, bro. They never did that. What they said is they tried to cloak it in us. No, no, no. We only care about the legal precedent being set here, and we believe in freedom. So we want big government in Washington, D.C. to stop trying to force their values on us. This is about states' rights, okay? So the state has the right to do whatever we want to do. So if we want to have white water fountains and black water fountains, they could shut the fuck up and not try to change that because that's how we do it here. And if we want to have segregation in school busing, well, they could shut the fuck up because that's how we want to do it here. This is all about states' rights. It has nothing to do with race. So what Joe Biden is saying there, well, I oppose uh, busing done by the Department of Education. That's when the Department of Education was saying okay, we need to get involved here because there's still segregation in the schools and segregation, segregation in the busing to the schools. So we're going to get involved and say, you have to desegregate the school buses. So the Department of Education was on the right side saying, whoa, 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 we can't have segregation. This is America. It's all about equality under the law. So, no, we're going to not allow busing segregation. And Joe Biden worked with segregationists to say, I don't know. I think the federal government should stay out. So he was for 
busing segregation. He was against busing desegregation. And now he had the nerve to say at the end there, I was, I'm not against busing. I'm just against the Department of Education busing. That means exactly what Kamala is saying it means. Oh, my God. Bro, campaign over, son. Campaign over, dog. Done. Done. <laughs> I'm telling you, done. Now, his response upon watching that a second and third time, his response was better than I remembered it originally. Because he was, like, still, still reeling from her hit on him that I was just like, whoa. But upon watching it a second and third time, he basically said, like, um, I was a public defender, not a prosecutor. In other words, I was defending the black community, not locking them up like, your cop-ass, bitch. <laughs> So that response is better than I remember, but I still don't think he, he got the upper hand in this, and I still think she kind of KO'd him, because it's true. He said, um, quote, I did not praise racists. Bro, he gave a eulogy at Strom Thurmond's funeral. Strom Thurmond is, is one of the most notorious segregationists and open racists, and he praised him repeatedly. So he did do that, and he does brag about working with segregationists. Listen, Joe Biden is from a previous era. His time is up, and boy, oh boy, was it perfect when Joe Biden said repeatedly throughout this debate, whenever his time was up in terms of like the two minutes he was allotted to speak or whatever the time frame was, at the end of it, he would say, my time's up. And he did that. You didn't see it at the end of this clip, but it goes on there. They talk for a little bit more. And then Biden says at the end, like, oh, my time's up. And that's just like a perfect metaphor for the end of his political career, which literally, quite literally, I think just happened. He performed very terrible in this debate, and he, I, in my opinion, he's done. I don't think he's going to come back from this. I think he's going to plummet in the polls. Um, I'm telling you, he's not going to hang on because this was just a sad performance. Um, that's the good news. The bad news is Kamala is a force to be reckoned with. She's good at this being a politician thing, and it shows. So look out. Um, but, yeah, like I said, the upside is, Game, set, match. Checkmate on uh, Biden's campaign here. I think it's over. Okay. So the media continued to ask a lot of shitty questions yesterday. I want to show you the one that pissed me off the most. This is from Chuck Todd, a.k.a. Human Oatmeal. Senator Sanders, Senator Sanders, I'm going to go to you on this. You said on the day you launched your campaign that voters should focus on what people stand for, not a candidate's race or age or sexual orientation. Many Democrats are very excited by the diversity of this field on this stage and on last night's stage and the perspective that diversity brings to this contest Absolutely. and to these issues. Are you telling Democratic voters that diversity shouldn't matter when they make this decision? No, absolutely not. Uh, unlike the Republican Party, we encourage diversity. We believe in diversity. That's what America is about. But in addition to diversity, in terms of having more women, more people from the GBF, LGBT community, we also have to do something else. And that is we have to ask ourselves a simple question. 
And that how come today the worker in the middle of our economy is making no more money than he or she made 45 years ago, and that in the last 30 years the top 1% has seen a $21 trillion increase in their wealth? We need a party that is diverse, but we need a party that has the guts to stand up for the powerful special interests who have so much power over the economic and political life of this country. So I think Bernie Sanders' answer there was wonderful. I mean, it's great, and he's spot on. Pretty much a perfect answer. But that question, man, I mean, listen, Bernie can't say this, but I'll say it for him. That's a bigoted question. The question is fundamentally, hey, man, you're old and white. Why is that okay? Like, what do you want to do, bro? What do you want to do? Not run for president simply because he's old and white when, you know, people who are paying attention all know he's the furthest left option and he's basically the most in favor of structural reform of all the options? Is he just supposed to step aside and not run and just have, like, shame over the fact that he's old and white? And by the way, if you want to play the identity politics game, we can play it right back at you. He would be the first Jewish president. Why are you downplaying the importance of the first Jewish president? Are you an anti-Semite? Why do you hate Jews? Why are you downplaying Bernie Sanders' struggle as, as he would be the first Jewish president? Why are you downplaying that? What's wrong with you? So I'm, I'm just, I'm so sick of this, man. Listen, nobody in their right mind thinks Bernie Sanders is bigoted. I mean, the dude literally marched in the civil rights movement. The dude's policies throughout his entire career has been in favor of uh, communities of color and women and the LGBTQ community. So since that's the case, and we all know that's the case, to ask a question like that, it really is just a bigoted question. It really is like, why should anybody be okay with voting for an old white man? Well, because I thought the whole idea of equality is we're supposed to not really care about somebody's background, somebody's race, somebody's gender, somebody's sexual orientation. Like, either you could say, hey, man, we're all equal and that stuff doesn't matter. Or you could say, hey, having an old white candidate um, being president isn't cool by definition simply because they're old and white. You can't have it both ways. Either you believe in equality or you believe in, by definition, old white people are eliminated, in which case you're a bigot. It's one or the other. So I know this is impolite to say this and this is politically incorrect to say this, but it's true and I'm sick of that shit. I'm sick of it. And also, by the way, this is why there's a strong contingent of people on the left who are against identity politics is because when they hear identity politics, this is what they think of. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't legitimate arguments like, hey, the death penalty is used in a racist way, where if a black person and a white person commit the same crime, a black person is more likely to get the death penalty. Like, there are real facts out there which explain why it's not like all identity politics is just cynically weaponized. There's some legit identity politics. But having said that, this is the face of identity politics in today's day and age now. The face is like, why is it okay that you're an old white man? Fuck off. Hey, Hillary's a woman. Yes, queen. Vote for her because she has a vagina. Yay. This is why people are turned off by this shit. It's used as a shield to deflect from serious policy discussion. So, st- 
stop with the pseudo-wokeism. It's not woke. You're Chuck Todd, you're human oatmeal, and you're a piece of shit. Okay. All right, next, um, Eric Swalwell. Oh, my God, we're doing a story on Eric Swalwell. He should count his lucky stars that we're even talking about him because I guarantee you nobody else today is talking about him. So useless centrist Democrat Eric Swalwell tried to land an attack on Joe Biden early on in the debate. Let's take a look at that. was so bad that other candidates jumped in on Joe Biden's side and um, Joe Biden got some applause lines responding to it. I'm not going to show you that because he kind of drones on for a little bit there, but what a weak, useless, loser tool you are, Eric Swalwell. Let me explain something to you. I don't know what you are. I mean, maybe you're in the millennial generation. You look like you might be Gen X, though. I don't know. Um, But whatever you are, I'm younger than you, and Bernie Sanders represents me a hell of a lot better than you ever will, and he represents the majority of the American people, and their policy ideas a lot better than you ever will. So stop with this bullshit fucking generational divide thing and ageism where it's just like, you're old, so eliminated. See, that's the type of shit you say when you can't actually one-up somebody like Bernie Sanders on policy. And he can't even one-up somebody like Joe Biden on policy because they kind of agree. They're both centrist goons. So you have nothing to add to the conversation. You have nothing of substance to say. So what do you do? You give Biden a political victory by attacking him in the worst possible way you can attack him. And for the record, go back and watch that clip again. Watch him talking because that is the most pre-planned speech I've ever seen in my life. He practiced that speech in front of his mirror about 50 times before he just delivered it there. And it's crystal clear that's what he did. I'm so, I hate standard politicians. I really do. Because they're so full of shit and they're playing characters and it's really annoying. And they get on my nerves. So I love exposing them. And that's what we're doing right now because this guy is a useless centrist tool and um, he should go away. But I don't need to fear anything because after that performance last night, He is going away. He's certainly not going to move up in the polls.
Okay, that was Eric Swalwell. Now let's go to Michael Bennett, frat boy Michael Bennett, who actually lit up Joe Biden. And I want to show you that. Give me one second here. I'm changing. I'm trying to number these segments as I move along. But I also don't want to waste too much time because we don't have that. We only have an hour and 30 minutes in today's show total. So let's see where we're at here. Okay. Michael Bennett. Here we go. So frat boy Michael Bennett, who otherwise had a terrible night and is otherwise a, a mealy-mouthed loser corporatist, he lit up. Joe Biden on the issue of taxes. This was fun to watch. It does sound as if you haven't seen what's been happening in the United States Senate over the last 12 years. It didn't happen, but I have seen what happened. Just since we were vice president, we needed three votes to pass an $800 billion recovery act that kept us from going into depression. I got three votes changed. We needed to be able to keep the government from shutting down and going bankrupt. I got Mitch McConnell to raise taxes $600 billion by raising the top rate. And as recently as after President uh, got elected, I was able to put together a coalition of the Cures Act that billions of dollars go into cancer research, bipartisan. But sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes you just have to go out and beat them. I went into 20 states, over 60 candidates, and guess what? We beat them. We won back the Senate. Thank you. Chuck, the problem with what Exit stage right for you two dipshit. 
Okay. Now, time for all the candidates to tell you what their number one priority is. Here we go. So there was a moment in last night's debate where the Democratic candidates um, were asked to bring up what their number one top priority is. In other words, if you could only get one thing done, what would that one thing be? Go. Here are their answers. President Obama in his first year wanted to address both health care and climate. And he could only get one signature issue accomplished. It was obviously health care. He didn't get to do climate change. You may only get one shot, and your first issue that you're going to push, you get one shot that it may be the only thing you get past. What is that first issue for your presidency? Eric Swallow, you're first. For Parkland, for Orlando, for every community affected by gun violence, ending gun violence. Senator Bennett. Climate change and the lack of economic mobility Bernie talks about. Passing a family bill of rights that includes a national paid leave plan, universal pre-K, affordable daycare, and making sure that women and families can thrive in the workplace no matter who they are. So passing a middle class and working family tax cut, uh, DACA, guns. Okay, that was this debate in a nutshell. Everything you heard there. It was sloppy. It was messy. Nobody was listening. <laughs> so let's run through these. Um, Swalwell's number one issue, guns. Um, Bennett's number one issue, climate change. Fair. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand gave an interesting answer. She said the Family Bill of Rights, which includes, you know, like paid family leave and stuff like that. That was pretty interesting. Although I don't know if he, number one on the list is, I don't know. 
Uh, Kamala says a working family tax cut. You have uh, Bernie said, I reject the premise of the question. I don't like that answer. I really don't. I mean, I get what he's trying to get at, but I think he overthought that and thought it was going to be like a grand moment, and it just came across as him not answering the question. Um, Here's what Bernie could have said or should have said, in my opinion. He could have went with, um, we have to get the money out of politics and end the corruption because money in politics from billionaires and corporations affects all other issues. He could have said that, or he just could have said Medicare for all. That would have been fine, too. But no, he tried to have everything at once. Uh, I reject the premise. We need a political revolution. You could tell by the reaction people weren't really fucking with the response either, which is a shame. Um, Biden was one of the worst, (laughs) as expected. He goes, and he did this all night. He kept bringing up Obama. (laughs) So he asked him what's the one issue if you had to do, like, over all other issues. He's like, Obama was great. What the fuck? And then he goes on to say, defeating Trump. Bro, the premise of the question includes the idea that you already beat Trump and you're already in the Oval Office. Oh, my God, he's so toast. Dude, you're donezo. Step aside, move along. Like, his campaign thoroughly imploded last night. I mean, it is done. It is over. That was so embarrassing. I remember when I heard that part live. When they're asked the one issue, first of all, when Bernie said it, I said what he said, I was like, but then when Biden brought up Obama, I was like, what? And then uh, we have Yang tried to say, UBI is my number one issue, and that would somehow make it so we can fight climate change by getting the boot off of people's neck. Climate change is being driven by corporations, bro. It's um, the top... There are 100 corporations that are responsible for 71% of global emissions. Listen, I'm not against your UBI plan, but you got to reel it in a little bit. Like, you sounded silly there, and I think you know you did. Yang did not have a good night. Um, Marianne uh, Williamson, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Booty Judge says, fix our democracy, but notice it was purposefully vague because he's an empty suit. But it sounds good. Hey, fix our democracy. Yeah, but what exactly does that mean? He didn't say. I don't even know what Hickenlooper said because he's so irrelevant and he's a breakfast cereal. And then Marianne Williamson, (laughs) I spoke to the fucking prime minister in New Zealand, and I said, you know what, girlfriend? You are so right. There are actually people out there who think Marianne Williamson did a good job. I think she dropped acid one too many times in her life. (laughs) No offense to the people who do acid. Um, but yeah, that's the breakdown there. Most of them were shitty answers. And, um, here's my advice for anybody running for president and in a debate, directly answer the questions and get to the fucking point. Okay. I got a speed up, bitch. I got like nine minutes left, maybe, thereabouts. What do I have? Let me take a look. I got 11 minutes, and I got three stories. Let's try to squeeze these motherfuckers in. Okay, so, how's this for a thorough debate uh, debate breakdown, by the way? It's like never-ending. 
I'm going to show you uh, Booty Judge's best moment. So Pete Buttigieg uh, went after the right for their religious hypocrisy when it comes to treatment of immigrants. This was probably his uh, strongest moment of the debate. Take a look. had a very spirited debate on this stage last night on the topic of decriminalization of the border. If you'd be so kind, raise your hand if you think it should be a civil offense rather than a crime to cross the border without documentation. Can we keep the hands up so we can see them? Uh, let's remember, that's not just a theoretical exercise. That criminalization, that is the basis for family separation. You do away with that, it's no longer possible. Of course, it wouldn't be possible anyway in my presidency because it is dead wrong. We've got to talk about one other thing because the Republican Party likes to cloak itself in the language of religion. Now, our party doesn't talk about that as much largely for a very good reason, which was we are committed to the separation of church and state, and we stand for people of any religion and people of no religion, but we should call out hypocrisy when we see it. And for a party that associates itself with Christianity, to say that it is okay to suggest that God would smile on the division of families at the hands of federal agents, that God would condone putting children in cages, has lost all plan to ever use religious language again. Vice President, I Yeah, so the three winners of the debate, I talked about this in the full debate breakdown, if you haven't seen that video yet, but I think uh, Buttigieg, Bernie, and Kamala were the three top candidates coming out of that debate. That was one of Buttigieg's best moments there. Um, yeah, it's the point we've made many times. They act like they're super Jesus-y, and then they basically have the exact opposite philosophy of Jesus. Um, there's not a single immigrant, documented, undocumented, or otherwise, that Jesus wouldn't take care of. The Bible's crystal clear. It talks about, you know, look out for the sojourner in your land, treat them as your brother. Um, so I think that's a good point. I think it's a fair point. I also think that it's just simply a hypocrisy burn, and that doesn't really mean much in terms of making tangible promises policy-wise. I mean, that's kind of Judge's thing, right? Like, he'll talk a lot. He'll, he won't say much, but there will certainly be no hardcore policy promises in there because he's just a mealy-mouthed centrist. So even though it was a good moment, even though it was a good point, it doesn't mean anything because he's not getting on the record. He's not talking about hardcore policy positions. And by the way, just a word of advice to all the Democrats on the stage there. I get it. There's a Democratic primary, and you all have to outleft each other. Not going to lie. That answer is not going to fly with the majority of the American people. If they poll on that question... Everybody on stage, except Bennett, was the only one who kept his hand down. People are not going to like that. Um, because even in a place like Canada, which has a single-payer health care system, if you're an undocumented immigrant, if you're a refugee and you go there, you get free health care. But if you're uh, an immigrant who's undocumented in Canada and you go to get health care, you get health care. By the way, everybody should be able to get health care if they're hurt, obviously, 100%, no question about it. But... Again, in Canada, if you're undocumented, you have to pay out of pocket because the idea is, well, you're not a citizen, so you know, you're not going to get the same benefits of citizenship. So that answer is not going to fly with most uh, of the American people, and I'd be curious to see a poll on that. Um, but Buttigieg uh, turned that into a positive moment for him, and he did have a lot of those moments throughout the debate. I just wish he wasn't a vapid centrist. And he's doing an Obama impression, just so everybody knows. 
Beto's trying it too, and he's failing miserably. Buttigieg is kind of pulling it off. And I bet you that behind closed doors, Buttigieg is like, yes, I'm pulling it off, yes. Okay. Now let's make fun of John Hickenlooper. Second to last story here for everybody. So John Hickenlooper shit the bed as expected in last night's debate. Um, let's look at one of his saddest moments. Warned that Democrats will lose in 2020 if they embrace socialism, as you put it. You were booed at the California Democratic Convention when you said that. Only one candidate on this stage, Senator Sanders, identifies himself as a democratic socialist. What are the policies or positions of your opponents that you think are veering towards socialism? Well, I think that the bottom line is if we don't clearly define that we are not socialists, the Republicans are going to come at us every way they can and, and call us socialists. And if you look at the Green New Deal, which I admire the sense of urgency and how important it is to do climate change, I'm a scientist. But we can't promise every American a government job. If you want to get universal health care coverage, I believe that health care is a right and not a privilege. But you can't expect to eliminate private insurance for 180 million people, many of whom don't want to give it up. In Colorado, we brought businesses and nonprofits together. We got near universal health care coverage. We were the first state in America to, to bring the environmental community and the oil and gas industry to address, aggressively address methane emissions. And we were also the first place to, to expand reproductive rights on a scale basis and we reduced teen pregnancy by 54%. We've done the big progressive things that people said couldn't be done. I'm done, but pretty much everyone else up here is still talking about doing. Wrong. Okay, so there's a lot of hilarious stuff there. The, the silliest point is, we can't be socialists because then the Republicans might call us names like socialists. Hey, idiot. They just spent eight years calling Barack Obama a socialist, and he's basically a moderate Republican. He did their goddamn health care plan. That's what Obamacare is. It's an individual mandate system. That philosophy came out of the... Uh, Heritage Foundation, which is a right-wing think tank. They're going to call you names no matter what. They called him a Kenyan Marxist. For fuck's sake, you have to know how shitty that argument is, man. Wow. Holy shit, that's bad. God, he's such a child on stage. So um, here's the other part of that that is just so infuriating. And he keeps doing this. This is a talking point he uses all the time. I got near universal health coverage in Colorado. So, in other words, you didn't get universal health coverage. Isn't it weird bragging about that, given the fact that there are people in your state who are still struggling and not covered and going bankrupt for medical bills? Isn't that weird? Don't you feel like a piece of shit when you're bragging about fixing it and you didn't fix it? Oh, my God. And then uh, he also says, I got the oil and gas company, uh, oil and gas companies and the environmental community to get together and so we, uh, you know, worked on uh, methane regulation. What in the fuck? That's like saying, I got the wolf and the sheep to sit together and we ironed out a deal. Bro, you do realize that having people at the table when talking about regulations, it shouldn't be the people that you're about to regulate who are at the table. How do you not understand this? 
how do you not get that they have a giant conflict of interest and they're not looking out for what's best for the American people? I mean, the fact that I have to point this out is honestly embarrassing. You don't understand that, by the way, um, John Hickenlooper, massive fracking enthusiast. So this is the kind of silly centrism that makes people fucking mock you. It's like saying, well, you know, we invited to the table the exact same people who crashed the global economy and paid bonuses after they bankrupted their own companies. We invited them to the table to craft the solution. Because you're a fucking idiot at best, or you're just a corporate tool at worst, and you're cynical. Whatever it is, I don't like you, you're a joke, you're polling at about 1%, and you're going to stay there. And finally, bitch. All right, last story. If we go a little bit over, just catch this segment on YouTube, because we only got a minute left in the show. Um, We're going to grade the closing statements. So let's watch some of the closing statements from last night's debate and uh, grade them. We can't be a forward-looking party if we look to the past for our leadership. I'm a congressman, but also a father of a two-year-old and infant. When I'm not changing diapers, I'm changing Washington. Most of the time, the diapers smell better. (laughs) I went to Congress at 31, and I found a Washington that doesn't work for people like you and me. It's made of the rich and the disconnected. I was the first in my family to go to college and have student loan debt. And so I had led the effort to elect the next generation of members of Congress. And we have a... This is a can-do generation. This is the generation that will end climate chaos. This is the generation that will solve student loan debt. And this is the generation that will say enough is enough and end gun violence. This generation demands bold solutions. That's why I'm running for president. Congressman, thank you. Ms. Williamson, 45 seconds to your closing. I'm sorry we had to talk more tonight about how we're going to beat Donald Trump. I have an idea about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not going to be beaten just by insider politics talk. He's not going to be beaten just by somebody who has plans. He's going to be beaten by somebody who has an idea what this man has done. This man has reached into the psyche of the American people, and he's harnessed fear for political purposes. So, Mr. President, if you're listening... I want you to hear me, please. You have harnessed fear for political purposes, and only love can cast that out. So I, sir, I have a feeling you know what you're doing. I'm going to harness love for political purposes. I will meet you on that field, and, sir, love will win. Women in America are on fire. We've marched, we've organized, we've run for office, and we've won. But our rights are under attack like never before by President Trump and the Republicans who want to repeal Roe v. Wade, which is why I went to the front lines in Georgia to fight for them. As president, I will take on the fight that no one else will. I stood up to the Pentagon and repealed Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I stood up to the bank and voted against the bailout twice. I stood up to Trump more than any other senator in the U.S. Senate. And I have the most comprehensive approach for getting money out of politics with publicly funded elections to deal with political corruption. Now is not the time to play it safe. Now is not the time to be afraid of first. We need a president who will take on the big challenges, even if she stands alone. Join me in fighting for this. Senator Gillibrand, thank you. 
dude, you were vice president, and it's not like Obama, you know, untangled our fucking relationship with Saudi Arabia. I mean, give me a break. Stop with this shitty, low-brow, low-level attacks of, like, embraces dictators. Fucking all U.S. presidents embrace dictators. We have our favorite puppet dictators, and we have dictators we don't like who don't bend the knee to our corporations and our empire. Okay, um, so Biden gets an S. Swalwell gets a D. He's just too corny, and he's too overpracticed, and he talks about bold ideas, but he has none. He, I like when he said, I, I spend time uh, changing diapers, and sometimes diapers smell better than Washington. Okay, bro. <laughs> so D for him. Marianne Williamson gets a D with her shitty fucking, I'm all about love, and this president is all about hate. Mr. President, I'll meet you on that battlefield after I drop more acid. Yay. <laughs> uh, um, Kirsten Gillibrand gets a C because she started out so corny. She started with, and I'm not kidding here, quote, women in America are on fire. What? <laughs> you better get the hose then. What the fuck? The women in America are on fire. Okay, that's strange. And the only reason she gets to see is because at the end she saved it by talking about some policies like the bank bailout, for example. And she talks about how she was against that. Um, Yang, sad, he gets to see. Come on, dude, you're supposed to be like a non-politician without platitudes and cliches and nonsense things to say. And you said, me, bro, look, we got to beat Trump. Okay, that's the most important thing. Actually, no, the most important thing is getting policies implemented that fix this country. Um, Trump is a problem, but he also only is in power because the system was broken to begin with. So it's not like you get rid of Trump and everything's hunky-dory. So he does the whole beat Trump thing, and then he goes, I don't want to go left. I don't want to go right. I want to go forward. Ugh, come on, bro. What are you doing? Um, and then, of course, Bernie gets an A+. He knocked it out of the park. That was Bernie's best moment all night, was that. Because he just laid it out there. He was like, listen, all these people are nice. But ask yourself, elections come and go, and politicians come and go. Why does nothing change? Why does nothing change? Because they're not serious about a political revolution. They're not serious about taking on the powerful special interests like Wall Street and the military-industrial complex and the fossil fuel industry. I am going to take them on. It's almost like, it was almost like, a, who are we kidding? You know what to do. Yes, we do, Bernie. Yes, we do. So anyway, um, that's my breakdown there. Um, I wonder when, the, well, I'll take a look. I don't know when the next debates are, but this was a little, this was quite a bit of uh, stress and packed work into a tiny segment to do this full breakdown, but I'm glad we did it. And um, like I said, just to sum it up for everybody, I, in my opinion, the losers were Bennett, Yang, Hickenlooper, Swalwell, Biden, the people who didn't go up or down, Williamson and Gillibrand, and the worst uh, or excuse me, the winners, I should say, uh, Buttigieg, Bernie, and Kamala. There you have it. All right. We're done here, baby. We love y'all. I'll talk to you soon. Everybody enjoy your weekend. Peace.